Welcome to What About Us, a podcast that discusses how politics affects rural Tennesseans. My name is Sandy Rice, and I have been discussing rural issues with guests since July of 2019. Now I am part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. You can still go to iTunes and Google Play to download What About Us, but please also go to www.tnholler.com and see the podcast family of progressive voices in our state. I'm in very good company. Subscribe and support The Holler and sign up for the newsletter. I love the newsletter. It helps me keep up with the shenanigans in the Tennessee General Assembly, which continue even when they are not in session. An added benefit is that I will be talking to rural folks throughout the state, not just Franklin and Grundy counties. So get your Tennessee maps out. Today, my guest is Sybil Miller Watkins, candidate for Tennessee State Senate District 26. Welcome, Sybil, and thank you for being my first remote interview. I thank you for inviting me. You bet. Tell us about yourself. Well, I am uh, running for State Senate District 26. Um, I am a wife of 31 years, a mother of eight, uh, a nana of eight. Um, I am an alum of University of Tennessee at Martin, where I have two degrees, one in sociology and one in social work. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I love social workers. <laughs> I know. Aren't we awesome? <laughs> I love them too. Uh, And then I am a school board member uh, for Fayette County Public Schools. I sit on the board of Fayette Cares, which is an organization that um, helps with victims, uh, domestic victims of crime, and they uh, speak very highly on um, homelessness. I'm a merge and emerge graduate. I am too. Uh, yes, 2018. I was 2019. actually <laughs> I was actually the first emerge sister to hold office because I was appointed uh, to my school board position, and then I was subsequently elected to hold the seat. Uh, so. Um, I don't know. And right now, I'm in the midst of preparing to virtually educate six people who live in my home. Okay. Um, I count myself fortunate in that my children have attended a uh, brick and mortar private. Um, I've homeschooled. I've virtually taught them. And now we're moving back into the virtual world. So okay. well, you have a lot of experience yeah. in our topic today. Tell us a little bit about your counties and some statistics about them. <clears throat> well, This is District 26, and there are eight counties. And just so you know, um, this district is 4,185 square feet, square miles, I apologize. (laughs) A lot of land. Um, There are approximately 191,000 people. The eight counties are Decatur, Chester, Fayette, Hardin, Hardeman, Haywood, um, Henderson, uh, Fayette, and McNary. <laughs> you get an A just for doing that. I know. <laughs> um, but we're, we are approximately about 60% rural, although we know that the bulk of Tennessee is rural, and we just have pockets of metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's kind of the racial makeup or... 
Yeah. Um, well, in our district, there are it's 19% black, 2% Hispanic, and 76% white. Okay. Do you have any um, poverty statistics? I mean, is it a... Yes, I do. Um, we have... <clears throat> 73,000 households, and of those households, 26% of our children are in poverty, and 12% of our seniors, and that's 65 and above, also live in poverty. Wow, okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and the median income here is 40,000. 40,000, okay. Yeah. But that's, you have eight uh, cities, towns, who make up the bulk of the money, and then um, 33 of them um, are on the lower end beneath that 40,000 mark. Okay. Okay. And this is Western Tennessee. Yes. Um, so if you think wow. about it, everyone knows Memphis. <laughs> uh -huh. um, so if you're looking at your map, because I am uh, directionally challenged, um, I am that person. Don't give me North, South, East, and West oh, right. telling me to turn at the the big house with the green shutters. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're looking at the map, Fayette County is east of Shelby and the district flows <clears throat> eastward um, and you take out one of the larger uh, areas is the Madison County area. So we form a U around Madison County, which is Jackson, Tennessee. If you oh, know. okay, Jackson, all right. Now, your district was previously represented, or is still is currently represented, by Dolores Gresham, a Republican who is stepping down after yes. this term. Uh, she was chairman of the Education Committee for many years. So as part of the GOP majority, did she vote, or I'm assuming that she voted for vouchers yes. uh, and did not support teachers' raises, classroom support, and materials she's that None of those things. From the budget. Okay. Our topic today um, is reopening public schools in the middle of a pandemic and a spike in cases mm -hmm. in Tennessee. What is the current status of reopening schools in person, um, remote? It changes. I don't know it if it's does. changing every day or not, but it feels like it. It does, and it and it and it vacillates on number one what the uh, federal government says, and then what our governor um, puts out. Um, but in District 26, the majority of our schools have chosen two options, um, total remote or staggered entry. So staggered entry is either they have their kindergartners and preschoolers coming one day, and or they could have a cohort of their third and fourth graders coming. So on different days, and then they'll have everyone come in. Um, later on after those cohorts are uh, successful. And cohorts are groups of kids. Groups of, yeah, so third third or fourth grade, boys or girls, however, however they've decided to um, uh, delineate or separate their children. Okay. But here in Fayette County, where I am on the school board, we've gone total virtual for the first four and a half weeks. Okay, okay. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Looks like the Department of Education um, does provide school reopening toolkits and guidance to support local school district plans, but it's still up to the district to keep up with the research and stats to make informed decisions. Yeah, yes, which is kind of um, 
interesting in that uh, our teachers are not epidemiologists. Mm -hmm. They're not scientists. They may teach science. Uh, <laughs> but probably not to the level of not to the level. RNA virus transcription and things like that. Correct. So, do you see COVID-19 relief funds getting to the schools, support for child care, supplies, et cetera? I, mean, uh, I think the state had uh, 80 million dollars to spread around earlier in June. Do you, when yes, they, they have, they have uh, come uh, over the last few days back with the idea that they would provide teachers with the supplies that they need for their classrooms and that being your mask, your hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, and then nurses would have PPE, which would include your gowns and all of that. So uh, one of the questions that a few of the teachers had um, to me was, are they going to give us enough for the whole year? Or is it just a one-time uh, contribution to the safety and health of our children? So that's something that we're definitely going to have to find out. Keep, keep track of. Yeah. So, so what are parents telling you? Well, surprisingly, you know, parents <clears throat> are on different, um, they have different thoughts. The majority of them that I've spoken to welcome the virtual um, aspect of having their children not in schools, but they're having to grapple with the fact that they still have to go to work, mm -hmm. um, especially with the unemployment uh, benefits running out and um, our, you know, Tennessee being very uh, behind in getting those benefits out to our citizens. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they welcome the virtual, but then they're concerned about how do they go to work. And then others who have been basically told that there is no option, they're going to have to do the staggered, are concerned because we have to remember our children are not individuals who come home and it's only them at home. A lot of the constituents are concerned about they have to send the children to school and then they're coming home to caretakers who for a lot of the rural area would include a grandmother. And we know that our elders are in that um, high risk, that high risk category. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And especially when you talk about these staggered schedules, a parent has a full-time job and it doesn't quite you know, um, line up with that school schedule. And so, I, you know, how accommodating our employers. Right? And, and that's the thing I believe we should really question our governor on, because if we had a state plan, then our employers would have guidance on how to deal with employees and the schools would have guidance. So we can't, what I believe what we've allowed the governor to do is have a say in what our school districts do, but then not make a way for employers to also have guidance in how to deal with whatever um, he's saying about these things don't happen in a vacuum. We right. can't separate them. And so for lack of a statewide plan that addresses education, health care, and jobs, then everyone is left to fend for themselves. And unfortunately, our parents um, will um, suffer the brunt. Right. And, and, in, and in some cases, it's really more, con not so, it, it may be a concern about work schedule um, mm -hmm. and the safety of the children, but we do have, do, do you have children that have health 
And this is, I have a friend up here whose son had open heart surgery. He's fine now. He's bouncing all over the place, but still he's at high risk. And then I also know of teachers, and we're going to talk about uh, um, teachers a little bit more too, um, that our average age of teachers in Tennessee, I think is 47, 48. Um, but some are older and may have health problems as well and family members that they're caring for. They, they don't want to take the virus, you know, to them as well. So those are concerns. Nationally, I have heard that many teachers are retiring. And I think of young people looking at teaching as an occupation, um, the same thing with nurses. <laughs> yes. My goodness. <laughs> So you already have you already have the need for approximately seven thousand teachers in Tennessee um, that we in are Tennessee that to many. fill yes fill positions and now you're forcing teachers to decision whether or not they continue to do the thing that they love and hope and pray that they don't um, uh, come face with the virus mm -hmm. versus you know. Retiring, and I think that is such an unfair place to for our governor, our state, and even our nation to put our educators in because we depend on them a lot. Mm -hmm. And the resources we need to do that in rural areas. Well, rural broadband has been a challenge for our rural areas um, for years, and there's kind of been this piecemeal effort to address it, uh, and. I believe that it's going to have to be front and center for the next legislative session to make sure that the state and the federal government gets those get will get the money down to our school districts. When it comes to virtual learning in our in the rural areas, you know, many of our children don't have access to uh, the internet and broadband except for on their parent phone. Now that's one thing everyone will say. Well, everybody has a that's true but how so you're kind of breaking up a little bit because we have storms but you're saying cell phone there's been a suggestion that they can learn on the cell phone but how how conducive is that to learning mm -hmm. really? um, and then leaves there too <laughs> yes and then we're giving out hot spots but if there is not a spot to connect the hot spot to then how then too are those children learning? So mm -hmm. education has to be equitable across the board and make sure that all of our children have access. And this is what I was trying to, to say before that question was, we haven't um, done a very good job even before the pandemic in education in Tennessee. It, it, it's, it gets shunt, shunt off qu quite a few times. Uh, even before this, we're kind of in the bottom 10 on a lot of educational indices, just like healthcare. And teachers have not had raises. We're behind in, in uh, payment of teachers. They can go to another state and um, be much better off uh, financially. We don't have the support for uh, um, trauma and problems at home that are only exacerbated by jobs and loss and 
you know, uh, everything that's going on with the, the pandemic. So this isn't like we had a great system to begin with and the pandemic has made it worse. Yeah, well, in our rural areas, um, you know, your, your schools are, are basically funded by property tax, uh-huh, right. if you look at it. So in our rural areas, you know, the property tax base could be concerning because our taxes are very low um, and that attracts many people to our area, but your taxes are still low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we think about the BEP, which is Tennessee's way of funding our schools, until we really examine that formula and make it re, um, make it so that it funds the necessary things uh, even more than it does. Um, so the whole formula needs to be looked at and uh, revamped. And then too, in our state legislature, if you'll notice, they always, when it's time for a budget cut, education is the first on the block. Mm-hmm. And if we want a well-educated Tennessee, then we've got to stop putting education uh, at the top of the uh, budgetary. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) At the bottom of the budget. Yeah. You know, priorities. Yeah. And with these problems over the years with public schools and rural education and equality and equities, um, so we ask and ask and ask, and what do we get? We got vouchers. <laughs> we got vouchers, and um, that only we're going to maybe benefit um, Shelby and uh, Davidson County. Davidson. Mm-hmm. And I heard someone talking about that recently uh, from from Memphis area that they don't even want it. This was mm-hmm. where. Uh, monies were going to be taken from public schools to support um, families and students that wanted uh, private school. This was in the vein of um, choice. Yes. Choice. Yes, but I think, I, I believe that we have got to take that word choice and make it what it really is. Mm-hmm. Choice is choice. A child should have a choice between a great public education, a great private education, you know, a great charter school. All choices should be totally awesome. But what they did with the voucher is they made public schools look less than. And I have a serious challenge with that when we know that a greater percentage of our children are educated in a public school. I was educated in a public school. Mm -hmm. And so what we know from that is that if public schools are funded and funding not stripped away, then public schools can be great choices for parents. And in a way, they still got money for uh, private schools because with the CARES Act money, public school systems had to give a percentage to private schools. So, you know, they still got money for private schools. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, back to uh, another option that you have some experience with is homeschooling. Just teach at home. I'm not sure if any parent has been told, well, if you don't like what we're doing, teach them yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But but how hard is that to do? Well, I homeschooled five. And I can tell you it was challenging because in homeschooling, you have to have an umbrella 
organization um, that quote unquote sponsors you to be able to homeschool. You have to purchase curriculum um, and it is all on the parent and that child to get all of their work done. The other thing that our wonderful legislature has done in regards to homeschooling is for everyone else in the state, you need an 18 to attend one of our public educations, uh, educational uh, universities. But for a homeschooler, you have to have a 21. So they've made it kind of challenging um, for parents to even make that an option. Uh, but this, I would say- Is this a score? Civil is this on the ACT? I apologize. Okay. All right, okay. on the ACT, yes, you had to have a you had to have a twenty one okay. uh, on the ACT, where everyone else you can get into college within eighteen. Okay. So, and I know that because my junior in college now graduated from a homeschool, and he made a nineteen on the ACT, and we were excited, yay! Until we found out he needed a twenty one. So what? <laughs> so what did you do? He had to retake it. Okay. <laughs> And now he's a junior at the University of Tennessee at Martin. So. Oh, good. Well, that's yeah. cool. I'm glad. <laughs> we had talked a little bit um, earlier in the week do, about parents that just don't feel like they can teach. You know, they, they, they question their ability to, uh, to teach and their, you know, desire, uh, you know, to do that. And this is where <clears throat> this is where the school system has definitely got to step up its outreach to parents. Um, <clears throat> there've got to be parent orientations to let them know that virtual learning is not homeschooling. You're not in charge of the curriculum for your students, okay. but what you are is a learning partner with the teacher and your student to make sure that your child learns. Um, so, but it is a vast difference from me getting my child ready for school, dropping them off at school, and then picking them up and having them come home. And all I'm really responsible for is homework and dinner <laughs> and getting them to bed. Uh, but with virtual learning, you you know you you're pretty much an active participant mm -hmm. in your child's learning. So I, I, I definitely see how it is a, um, a, a deterrent for a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Homeschooling and, and virtual. And virtual, yes, because it's gonna, take, it's gonna take a lot more support and that support takes money. Mm -hmm. So school districts have now got to find money in order to have those trainings for their parents and be able to have tutors available. You know, all of that's money. And our state, um, you know, refuses to give our teachers raises. Um, so we, that's, you know, investment, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Let's invest that's in right. our students. That's right. That's right. So how would you grade the state's response to the pandemic and preparations for school to reopen? You get to give a grade. Oh, wow. Um, a D. A D. Okay. A D. Um, because the one thing, it, and it's all about <clears throat> how they have rolled it out. You know, words matter. Mm -hmm. uh, making the statement that in-person uh, schooling is medically sound. You know, that's just not, it's not very truthful because it's not medically sound. We know that we have to have six feet of distance. Our children need to be in masks 
Uh, we're asking our teachers to be around a lot of people. Um, so even when it comes to degrading the aspect of virtual learning, you know, they don't talk very positive about it. And so it can cause not only parents, but districts to decide that virtual learning is not what they want to do based on the fact that our state, you know, hasn't spoken positively about it. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, um, and they're just, I am still a proponent for a statewide plan. Mm-hmm. You know, the governor could have said, okay, if you're going in, make sure everyone has on a mask. You know, this is how a schoolroom could be set up. But having school districts do their own um, uh, imagination, uh, have their own aspect of how they think it should work. I think research it's research and their own. Yeah. 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 And not everyone is using the same numbers in order to make sure of, of how cases are being handled in their county. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us are using the EPI curve, which is the number that is used for long-term care facilities or nursing homes. Oh, okay. Um, and so if we're above their numbers, then you know that kind of dictates how we will be opening or not opening schools, but not everyone is using that. So how, how cohesive can a state be if everyone is also using different numbers? Well, I, I would give the pandemic uh, response, the, the state response to the pandemic, I, I would give them a generous D mm. because I think this is a life or death situation and to kind of uh, cajole and suggest and, and, uh, give in to some people that didn't think masks and and this was important was uh, an error. I think we would be happily and gratefully opening up the schools next week had we been able to flatten the curve as we were advised over and over again, even until earlier this week that Tennessee was spiking cases and there's still some hesitation to, to to take a stand. And only six, and only six of our Tennessee counties met his measurement. Only six counties. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then that's why I'm glad I gave him uh, gave us a D. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what would one? So the thing you would do now, I guess, would be to make a plan. Yes. When you get when you're elected and and you get up there to Nashville, what's the first thing you're going to do? Well, the first thing it'll be in January. Uh, So the first thing that has to happen is to look across our state and see how our children are doing, because we're talking about all of our children um, and 8,000 of them um, age five to 18 have tested positive for the virus. And that was just a few days ago. So that's a 20% increase. So you definitely have to look at the numbers. You have to listen to the scientists Um, I am a um, big proponent of data and you let data and science drive decisions. And so being one of the 33 senators that will be in um, the Tennessee Senate, I would just encourage all of us to look at the numbers and let's get a statewide plan that keeps not only our students safe, but our teachers and the people that they go home to. It's everybody. It, I'll, I'll keep saying it is not only the student. 
the student has parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and <laughs> and everybody um, would be affected by the decisions that our school systems make. So pushing for a statewide plan. And here in uh, District 26, we have four hospitals that have closed in our in our eight counties. Um, so you definitely have to make sure that you have uh, health care, some emergency um, Clinics have to be opened up. Um, we have to look at the certificate of need to see how we can get those hospitals or those emergency um, areas opened in our counties because we know that that um, certificate of need, CON, tells us where we can put a hospital or a medical facility. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of uh, very uh, restrictive in how rural communities can um, operate. And then finally, I will just make sure that rural communities have a voice. We are very different. We don't have the transportation, the, uh, the monies available for our school system, the healthcare um, components that cities enjoy. So, or the jobs, you know, jobs in our, most other people I know that live in my county actually drive to other counties for their jobs. Right. Um, so we just have to look at uh, the rural areas and their totality and begin to invest more and understand that at this point in time during the pandemic, it is just time to reimagine, reimagine, reinvent, mm -hmm. and then get everybody um, to a place where Tennessee can be a place where people want to live and uh, even retire. Mm -hmm. yeah. And learn. And learn. Yes. Let's not forget about that learning aspect. It's all spoken like a true social worker. I know, right? Working with a healthcare professional. See? Okay. Yes. What can we do now? What's our action plan, Sybil? Well, my action plan, uh, first of all, is to speak to as many voters as I can. And we do that by phone banking. So if someone wants to <clears throat> volunteer for our phone banking campaign, please go out to civil4, that's the number 4tn.com, and uh, register, uh, sign up to either help us with our phone banking. Uh, a lot of people uh, believe that postcards are uh, not the best way, but in rural communities where there's not very much readership of newspapers in our area, a postcard, direct mail, is one way that we can get people out and have them involved in the political arena. So if you are someone who wants to write postcards, please go to that same site, civil4tn.com, and we'll get postcards out to you. And like us on social media, that's Facebook and Instagram, share our, share our message of being for everyday people, every day. Because I'm one of those. I'm an everyday person every day who has particular kitchen table issues that I want to make sure that we take to DC. Uh, to DC. What am I talking about? To Nashville. <laughs> um, so more DC later. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, so uh, definitely um, go to our website and uh, join in with us because volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. And if you're so inclined, uh, donate. Uh, donations are always welcome. Okay, I was going to say, don't forget that donate button. Oh, yes. Don't forget the donate button. Okay. Also, for my listeners, they can write, call, email, text, tweet, jam it up. Right? Yes. That's what you said, jam it up. Yep. Uh, 
One, one, this is one of the many reasons I like the Tennessee Holler newsletter. It holds legislators accountable. The policies that affect us are enacted by the people we elect. Uh, did, did we think that our public school money should go to private schools in Memphis and Nashville? Do we think that teachers should not get pay raises year after year? The GOP voted for these things to happen, so they're not listening to us um, very well, and we need to change that. So look up your uh, current state legislator and the governors. Silly, um, so you had said that really the, that we should write our legislators to tell the governor, you know, to, to do these things. I mean, to write the governor. And you can also write Dr. Lisa Piercy, who's the commissioner for the Department of, of Health. She's at 710 James Robertson Parkway in Nashville. 37243. I think even though she has wonderful qualifications, a lot of the confusion is coming from her. She's a little bit like some at the federal level where they're trying to, to, to juggle to say the right things. You, know, you can always help others to know um, the issues. These are state issues. Um, not really federal. I mean, federal and COVID, COVID has been a big thing, but you know, as they have kicked the can to the states to deal with this, um, the, the state has kicked it to the school districts. Everybody, nobody knows anything anymore and nobody wants to take uh, responsibility. So anything to add to those? Uh, I'll just add one last thing. The seat that I am fighting for right now was once held by our wonderful Lieutenant Governor Wilder. And uh, it was democratic for years and years and years. And so let's just get it back into that space so that every day's people um, voices can be heard. Okay, let me um, just do a conclusion. You know, the purpose of What About Us since the very beginning was to discuss the policies and the issues that affect rural communities. Knowledge and understanding allow us to have a louder voice in state government, so we are not left out. Concerns and resources often don't make it beyond the big city, but Tennessee is very rural. Agriculture is unimportant. Agriculture is important. We are important. The education of our children, the concerns of our parents and teachers are important. We should not have to deal with this level of chaos and stress for five going on six months with no end in sight. Even before the pandemic, we were not headed in the right direction. We were ranked low, folks, near the bottom in educational indices, just like healthcare. We need change. We need leaders like Sybil Miller Watkins to take action when necessary. You are a homegrown candidate with the Tennessee um, Democratic Party Rural Caucus. Yes. Uh, if you win, we all win. Yes. The more yes, we do. flip, the more we will all uh, be better off. Right. I wish you the greatest of success in your bid for State Senate District 26. Thank you. And thank, thank you for everyone that supports your podcast. It's awesome.